Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today. We have a phenomenal show for you. I have been super, super duper excited to have this guest on our show today, and I know you're not going to be disappointed. So Phil, who do we have today? Well, you know, I've heard you say a lot of words, a lot of adjectives to describe our guests. Uh, this is the first, the fir- I think. Someone may correct me out there, but I think this is the first that we have phenomenal. And that's not an understatement, folks. We got Jason Johnson today. Jason is the Christian Alliance for Orphans National Director of Church Ministry Initiatives. And that, that title just doesn't quite do the man justice, in my opinion, because he's a guy that cares deeply about all these issues. He lives it out in his own home. Um, he is a guy who goes to different churches all around the country all year long, training them up on how to, um, really start ministries that love orphan and vulnerable children locally and globally in ways that are going to really impact lives. Um, not just the lives of the kids, but also the lives of the ministry people. And that's, what's so cool about this guy's he's going for a holistic ministry that is really seeking to make sure people are going into it in a healthy way are staying healthy as they're doing it. And that's just not in the ministries, but also he, he wrote a book. He's going to talk, he is not going to talk about it on this interview, but reframing foster care. I can tell you that I know a lot of people in foster care and virtually every one of them has been like, I read that book and it was phenomenal. And my brother's one of those. So since a lot of people say I look just like my brother and sound like him, it's almost like I've read it. So not quite, but you know, but you know, I feel like I can, I can tell Jason I've read it. Um, so anyway, we have, it's such a great interview. It's such an interview. It's such a great interview because it talks about a lot of things that we can use really in anything that we're doing just different concepts that he talks about that I know I've used in my life and I hope that you will as well. Um, after the interview, also stick around because we're going to be talking about you know the interview as well as an opportunity for those of you folks out there listening who are in Uganda or Ethiopia um, or who know people over there who can benefit from some training that we're going to be doing over there in November. So without more from me, Karen's going to share later too. So without more fun from me or Karen right now, we're, we are going to send you to this great interview that I was able to do with my friend, Jason Johnson. Well, Jason, it is so great to have you on the Think Orphan podcast. Finally got you on. Yeah, Phil, it's great to be here and I appreciate you having me. Well, you know, Jason, you, you've written as, as I, I joked on Facebook a few months ago, you know, I, I, swear I think all you do is sit there and write because you're popping out <laughs> books like crazy lately. But, uh, you know, you have reframing, reframing uh, foster care that came out recently and then uh, mm-hmm. everyone can do something uh, mm-hmm. came out in the last few months as well. And today we're kind of going to focus on the latter one. I, I know you've talked about reframing foster care with some different other podcasts that uh, folks out there, I encourage you to find those because uh, that's a fantastic book as well. Um, but today I just I know a lot of people out there. Um, can really uh, benefit from this book. If, if you're listening to this podcast, this is a book that uh, will really, as you'll, you'll see today, will give you some great, great ideas on how you can uh, do what you're doing better. Um, but uh, before we get into that, I just want you to share a little bit, for those of the folks out there that don't know you, know, don't, don't know who you are, uh, just share a little bit of uh, your story and you know, kind of how you got to be where you are today. Yeah, sure thing. I'll give you the cliff notes. Um, 
and uh, we can fill in some details as we go, maybe. Um, so our story is um, is simply this. My background is pastoral ministry, um, and I grew up in the shadows of it with my dad in ministry, and um, in college got involved myself on staff at church, and uh, that's really all I've ever known. And that led us to a point in 2008-2009 in Houston to actually plant a new church. So church planting became a part of um, our world. Um, and it was through that church plant that I was pastoring that foster care and adoption became a thing. Um, and my wife and I, um, even prior to that, had had the discussion, like a lot of couples do, um, even I think before we were engaged and married, had even broached the subject of adoption, you know, the, the whole one day discussion. Yeah, one day that would be something that we'd like to do, you know. Um, and uh, so we just kind of carried that one day idea with us. And then as this became a thing in our young church plants, as God began to bring people with a heart for this and similar one day stories. Right. Um, uh, it just began to kind of catalyze this movement and, and expose this culture, which was which was being formed in our church of people that really cared about this. And so we took a bunch of people to a conference and my wife and I uh, an adoption conference and my wife and I strolled into a breakout session on foster care. Um, uh, now, notice I haven't mentioned foster care yet. Our <laughs> idea was one day maybe we'd adopt. Right. Right. Um, and I honestly, in hindsight, have no idea why we went to this breakout session on foster care, but we did. And we spent an hour in that room and everything changed for us. We walked out of that room now knowing something that we could never not know anymore, that foster care was a thing and that there were kids and families in our city um, that were largely hidden and that um, I didn't want to grow a young church and build a church that pretended like that didn't exist, right? Um, mm -hmm. I didn't want for us as a church to say, we are a church for this city. However, we are completely ignoring um, a huge component of brokenness um, in our city. Um, and the same was true for us as a family, uh, as a pastor, as a, as a husband, as a, as a father. Um, we know some things now that we can't unknow. And I had three young daughters at the time, um, still have uh, daughters. Uh, they were just young at the time, younger at the time. And um, one of the first introductions to foster care was was we heard a caseworker talking about um, just some horrific experiences that a little girl had gone through. And that really resonated with me because I would give my life to protect my girls mm -hmm. from experiencing that. Um, and I just felt like the Lord was saying, you know, who, why would you not do the same for another little girl? And that was it for us. So um, that was uh, we became licensed in 2012. And that's that's really when our our journey began. Yeah. And then and then since then, you have uh, gone from, you know, pastoring to working with uh, Arrow Ministries. And now you're with Christian mm -hmm. Alliance for Orphans. And and what are you doing today with Christian Alliance for Orphans? Yeah. So that's that's a great point. Um you know, as this became a thing in our church, uh, I found a lot of joy in, in working outside of our church more and more, helping other churches to think through this. Mm -hmm. I mean, what will this look like internally within your church and then collaboratively among churches in a particular community? And so that led me to work with Arrow for a little while and then ultimately with, with Christian Alliance for Orphans. And so now my role is I have the pleasure of working with 
just a lot of really fantastic churches around the country that are all at different um, points in their journey. Um, but they're all asking similar questions. How do we do this well? What does this look like? What are the next best steps for us as a church? Um, whether we are just now beginning to think through how we engage in, in issues of foster care and adoption and, and, and justice in our community and restoration and even global orphan care. Mm-hmm. Or we've been doing this for a long time and we just need a reboot or we need some clarity moving forward. And so that primarily is my role with CAFO, developing resources, um, doing a lot of coaching, um, a, a lot of instruction with churches, church leaders, network leaders, denominational leaders, um, and uh, really answering the question of how do we do this well and what are our next best steps? Yeah, I think that that I, I'm guessing that had something to do with this book that we talked about at the beginning. Uh, uh, everyone can do something. Um it really does give an idea or, or a, a great, as it's called, a field guide for churches to get involved in, in real ways, in very intentional ways in the lives of orphan and vulnerable children. So can you kind of just give, uh, give our audience an understanding of, of why you wrote this, what, who's, who the intended audience is, and uh, what your hope for the book is? Yeah, great question. Um, why we wrote this was we, we wanted to put in a concise, single place um, as, as, as many resources as we could that, that would help church leaders, again, answer those questions. What does this look like for us? And what are our next best steps? And with the understanding that there's no formula, there's no, um, if, you, if you follow these certain prescripted ingredients, then you will always achieve this certain outcome, right? That's just not how it works. One plus one equals two in one church and equals 27 in another church. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's just so contextualized to the culture, the rhythms of the church, the resources, the geography, all kinds of factors. And so what we want to help church leaders with is taking principles and ideas that are rooted in best practices, that are rooted in, in even research that are rooted in practicality um, and for them to contextualize that to their own unique environments. Okay, if this principle is true and if this idea is true, then what would that look like for us given our our resources, our, um, our culture, our rhythms, the things that we do well? How can we contextualize that? So the primary audience is church leaders. However, there's some secondary audiences. There are Many, many, many organizations, agencies, nonprofits that work directly with churches, be it in their region or um, even around the country, around the world. They are largely dependent upon being able to form strategic partnerships with churches. So, for an example, it might be a local foster care agency um, that wants to work with local churches to raise up new foster families. And so what we wanted to do is, is provide a resource that they, they could use in their organization to help cultivate relationships with churches in their communities. And we are finding that everyone can do something is helping them to bridge those relational gaps. Um, so now as an agency or an organization, they can step into a church and say, we, we have a resource that could truly be helpful for you. And we want to be a helpful resource for you. Um, as we work with you to raise up families and a culture within your church. 
Yeah, and I, I can see, I mean, just reading through it, um, knowing what uh, the different orphan care ministries that I know of and, and the different churches that I've worked with around the country and around the world, quite frankly, um, this this book is so, so helpful um, to just put it into one place. And, it, and it's not some massive book that has 85,000 steps. It really is, you know, a book to understand that this, you know, a healthy orphan care ministry mirrors any other healthy organization, right? It starts with a healthy leadership team. Mm. And can you kind of talk about the importance of that and the importance of, I think you talk about building relationships and community first and then determining the ministry, not just jumping into something. Um, mm. But that really does start with a healthy leadership team. Can you can you speak to that and the idea of a catalyzer and, and the different types of leadership, um, just yeah, real quick yeah. for our audience? Yeah, so that's right off the bat, that's where we start in the book. And it, it might actually take people a little off guard a bit, not in an offensive way, but just, you know, um, maybe they initially jump in saying, okay, give us give us the next event that we can do or the next thing that we can plan. Um, and what we want to say is let's take several steps back from that and let's look at some foundational things before we, we start building some of those other aspects out and foundational is is healthy leadership um, uh, and we say that because so many ministries um, and and somebody listening to this right now might say yep that's me so many ministries are are led by a single passionate advocate that is um, burning the wick at both ends they are a foster and adoptive family um, that has just an immense amount of, of pressure and responsibility in their own personal lives. And they have stumbled into this leadership place within their church or their ministry simply because they were the most passionate advocates. Um, and now they carry the burden of, of trying to build this ministry within their church. And it's just hard. And so what we want to do is, is encourage them to, to look around and to identify some folks that, that they can bring into the fold to help um, spread out the tasks over a few and not just isolate them to, to one or two individuals. Um, the scalability, that growth is not dependent upon the capacity of one individual, but on the collective energy of a whole team. Um, sustainability, you know, I know that you've seen this and we've all seen this, that um, if it's if if uh, tasks aren't spread out and, and the burden is isolated to, to one or two, when those people burn out, the ministry as a whole suffers. Mm -hmm. um, and what we want to do is create sustainability uh, amongst a leadership team that if one person has to take a step back for a season, it's okay. The, the ministry continues because there's a, a sustainability built into the team. And, uh, you know, we want to see leaders who are multipliers. Um, what I see in the ministry of Jesus is early on, everything revolved around him. He healed, he preached, he he taught, he performed miracles. And then there's this critical moment in somewhere around Matthew chapter 10, where he gets his disciples around and he says, okay, your turn. Uh, you guys go do it. You heal, you teach, you, you perform miracles. And he multiplies the ministry into them. And so Jesus was just this brilliant multiplier. And we now even today represent the multiplied presence of Jesus. That multiplication continues on. It's not just isolated to him, which sounds like a strange thing to say that it's it doesn't all center around Jesus. Of course it does. But he's just built out this multiplication of, of people to expand, expand the impact 
and we want to be multiplying leaders. We, we want to be catalyzing leaders. Um, Jesus was a catalyzing leader. A catalyzer is, is something that, um, that, uh, that produces something and it's not dependent upon that, that catalyzers ongoing involvement. So example, um, uh, nitrogen plus hydrogen equals nothing. You get nothing. However, I mean, we talk about this in the book, nitrogen plus hydrogen plus iron equals ammonia. So iron acts as this catalyzer between nitrogen and hydrogen that produces something. But the crazy thing is, is that when you test ammonia, you don't see any traces of iron. It's, it's non-existent. So iron kind of steps in, catalyzes nitrogen and hydrogen together, produces an outcome, and then steps out of the way. Um, it, 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 it doesn't take a front, a front row seat, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not a central ingredient. Its involvement was crucial and its effects are still known, but its continued presence is not essential. And so Jesus even does something crazy when he says, um, okay, you guys now go, I'm multiplying my presence to you in, in through you. And then later on, he shocks them and says, Hey, I'm leaving. And they go, no, you can't leave. We need you right here. And he says, actually, I'm leaving and it's going to be better for you because I'm going to introduce something even better. The Holy Spirit's going to live inside of you and guide you. Um, and so what we see today is the, the effects of Jesus, obviously, and his involvement in physical form was crucial. But what we now see is this con- his continued presence, but in a different way. Uh, he, he catalyzed this movement that continues on and that will will never be stopped. Um, and so we want to be leaders. What, what that does is it frees us from a very heavy burden to carry to carry the load on our own and indefinitely. Um, sometimes the best thing a leader can do is build out a system and structure around themselves that no longer requires um, their direct involvement. That would be success that you could turn something over that, that lives and breathes without you. Um, and we just want to free leaders up to, to dream that way um, and to not be overwhelmed with the burden to try to carry something on their own forever. Yeah. And I, I, I uh, think you're exactly right that a lot of the people listening in, I imagine have this like, idea of having a massive burden taken off their shoulders if they could get this leadership team uh, going and a healthy leadership team going. The the thought of not having to do everything um, is so freeing, yet so, uh, I think at the same time, maybe discouraging for some because they say, you know what, I've tried, I've tried, and I just can't get anyone on board. I just, you know, I've heard this, you've heard this. Um, you know, it's like banging my head against the wall. No one gets it. Everyone just says, you know, it's not my thing. Um, but I think you speak to that. I know you speak to that. I don't think you think you speak to it. You speak to it in the book about, you know, it's not, it's an intentionality, but it's, as you talked about clarity, um, to increase the clarity decreases anxiety. And I think so much, and I think this is so true. The curse of knowledge bites us so often. Can you speak to, the uh, need for clarity, why clarity is so critical and what it does and what the curse of knowledge is and why that's something that uh, people need to be aware of. Yeah, great. So in all things, we want, we want to increase clarity. 
in this. So the illustration is this, it, and we talk about this in the book. It seems that no one gets lost anymore. So I do a lot of traveling. You do a lot of traveling um, for work. Um, but I, when I get off a plane, grab the rental car, I have no anxiety or concern about um, getting where I need to go. Um, because I have this little, this little voice in my phone that increases clarity, uh, Siri, she tells me where to go, where to turn, what to do, what to watch out for. Uh, and so I have no anxiety. I know I'm going to get where I need, where I need to go because Siri has increased clarity. It decreases my anxiety, my, um, even sometimes apathy, um, um, or just this sense of being overwhelmed and, so in all things, in our messaging, um, you know, personally, as a leader, what we want to do as an individual who might say, I just feel overwhelmed. There's just so much. There's so many tasks that the needs are endless. What we want to encourage individuals and, and, and leaders to do is increase clarity for themselves. You know, there's a million things that you can be doing, but just because um, you should doesn't mean you can um, or just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Um, uh, so what we want to do is increase clarity. What are the few things that I can focus on with intentionality and do really well um, and free me up from the burden to feel overwhelmed by all the other million things? And it can decrease my anxiety. It can decrease feelings of being overwhelmed. But also in our advocacy, um, oftentimes our advocacy to others is incredibly counterproductive. I find. Um, and I'll use um, an extreme example um, of that. Let's say our advocacy to our church or to our friends or to our community is, is this. Did you know that there's 153 or 141, whatever the number is, million orphans in the world? And there are over 400,000 kids in foster care. Over 100,000 of them are waiting to be adopted. Um, and the need is overwhelming. And it's really, really hard. And it's going to cost you a lot of money and take you a lot of time. Um, and you're going to end up in, in so many support groups that you didn't even know exist, you know, because you're just going to be killing yourself. Um, you should do it. You know, <laughs> given all that, you should do it. It's, it's, it's amazing. And people kind of go, wow, I mean, that sounds awful, right? <laughs> um, and then we, we, want, we walk away wondering why no one's responding. Um, or to our church leaders. Um, sometimes we, we rush into their offices um, kind of emotionally hot because, man, we, we're emotional about this and we get it and we see it and we understand the need and we're just we just don't understand why they don't. And so our encouragement is in, in our advocacy and in our approach to increase clarity. Um, and in doing so, we can decrease things like anxiety and 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 apparent apathy. And one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite books, I encourage every church leader to read it. Uh, he says what what often uh, what often appears to be apathy. Um, I'm paraphrasing. What often appears to be apathy in others is really just a lack of clarity. Mm -hmm. It's not that they don't care. It's just that they don't have clarity on how to care. Um, and what we want to do is help increase clarity for them. And so perhaps an example of this could be um, instead of our, our primary approach to our church being there's 400,000 kids in the foster care system, uh, 
we want them to know the data. The data is important, but we need to contextualize it. We need to increase clarity for them. And what we can do is scale it down and say, there's 400,000 kids in foster care in the United States. But what we want to do is focus on what's going on within a 20 mile radius of our church campus. Um, and what are the needs right here in our own community? And how can we increase clarity on the practical needs right here in our own community and not be overwhelmed by the myriad of needs of the hundreds of thousands, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to do is be aware of the curse of knowledge, as you said. The curse of knowledge essentially says um, once you know something, it's nearly impossible to put yourself in the mindset of someone that doesn't know it. Uh, so um, I have four daughters and we are our youngest now is in the process of learning how to read. And I'm reminded of how much I am. I suffer from the curse of knowledge when I teach kids how to read. I would be an awful kindergarten teacher uh, <laughs> because as she very slowly stumbles and stutters through simple words, I just want to jump in real quick and say, you know, it's cat. It says cat. Let's move on, you know, yeah. uh, because in my mind, it's clear. I know that that's cat and it's really difficult for me to put myself in the mindset of a five-year-old that doesn't understand that's the word cat. That's the curse of knowledge. We experience it in doctor's offices when they come in and they use this jargon we don't understand and we say, just give it to me in layman's terms. Um, just give it to me simple. So um, a really important research study was done years ago by a PhD student and to to test the curse of knowledge, she put uh, on one side of a table, she put what she called tappers and the tappers wore headphones and they listened to popular songs like the Star Spangled Banner and Happy Birthday. And their job was to tap on the table with the song that they were hearing so that their partner, the listener, could correctly identify the song. We've all played this game in some form or fashion with our kids or, or somebody. And, and they were told, how, how accurate do you think you'll be? How many, how many correct um, songs will your listener identify? And they guesstimated something like 50%. We think that 50% of the time our listener will, will hear the song correctly. And the end of the, the study showed that it was actually more like 2.5% of the time uh, that the listener actually correctly identified the song that was being tapped. Um, and, um, what this proved was the curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge is the listener or the tapper has the headphones on and they can hear the song clearly. Yep. And they're tapping on the table to someone that can't hear it. And they thought, oh, easy. They should 50 percent of the time they'll hear it correctly. Turns out it was a, it was a failure. Two point five percent of the time. So the point being tappers, people who hear the song in their head think they are much better tappers than they actually are. What does that mean for us? It means that we hear, for those of us that are listening to this, you're probably someone that the foster care, adoption, orphan care song is constantly playing in your head. You hear it loud and clear. You know all the language, you know all the terms, you know all the nuances. Um, and our assumption is if I can just get someone to sit across the table from me, and I can tap this out for them, they will hear it as loudly and as clearly as I do. And the truth is, is that they, they don't. Um, and we, 
walk away frustrated. Why don't they hear the song the way that I hear the song? Now, the listener walks away frustrated, too, because they're wondering, why does this person keep tapping on me like that? Right? <laughs> I don't understand what they're saying. And they're getting frustrated with me and I am getting frustrated with them. Right. Right. And so the solution to the curse of knowledge is the burden is on us as the tappers, the people who hear the song in our head. It, the burden is on us to find ways to help people learn the song word by word, line by line, so that eventually they can sing it for themselves. Um, the solution is not to tap harder and louder, to sing harder and louder, to scream harder and louder. Um, it's to help them learn the song for themselves, word by word. Um, and that applies to the approach that we take with church leaders, the approach that we take with, with friends, family, advocacy in our community, and even ourselves, that we give ourselves some grace, that it takes time as a five-year-old to learn that that word is cat. Um, and it takes time for us to learn the song word by word, line by line for ourselves. Yeah, no, that, that is uh, something that is so good. So good. And the book, fortunately for everyone out there, the book, we're not going to have time to get into everything today, but the yeah. book talks about the drip strategy rather than, you know, the compare that to a fire hose, you know, as you're talking about tapping louder or just turning on the fire hose full blast and saying, here's all the info to, to do the drip strategy, um, bridge events, different things. The book goes through very well, um, just different strategies, different ways to do that, to help overcome to, the curse of knowledge, to help have more empathy when it comes to understanding where somebody else is compared to where we are. And, uh, you know, you talk about going through scripture, see how, you know, Paul was a master at meeting people where they were. And that's something that we need to learn more as well. Um, and I, you know, the book does a fantastic job with that. We're not unfortunately, we're unfortunately not going to have the time to, to go through all the details. The book also going back to the idea of the catalyzer, you know, for those of you who aren't, you know, chemistry folks, which I think I was, I was so fascinated. I've actually told so many people that ammonia thing in the lot since I read the book. I'm like, <laughs> that is so cool. Cause I just love the idea of that. But he also, for those of you who aren't necessarily into chemistry, um, he has an example using uh, sound of music and Mary Poppins as well that mm -hmm. some of you may, uh, you know, relate to more. So I'm not going to ruin that one. You're going to have to buy the book to, <laughs> to see that one. But uh, you can probably, if you know both of them, you can probably figure it out. But, uh, you know, there's so many different things that the book goes through that are specifics on all, the, on all these things to help us understand how we can do this better. Because I know it was something that was uh, so, uh, it's just, it's something that we, we know when you hear it, it's like, oh, yeah, you know what, that makes sense. But we don't think about it when we're tapping, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that you, you know, you, you were teasing people and then you didn't give us the book that you were saying is one of your favorite books. So what is the book that you talk about with the apathy and, uh, you know, sometimes apathy is just a lack of clarity. Yeah. Okay. I'll share it. I didn't know like if there were like, you know, you can't promote things. No rules. Um, we, we can yeah, promote right. whatever we darn well please. So that's good. So the book is called Switch by, uh, by these two brothers, Chip and Dan Heath, H-E-A-T-H. -E the book is called Switch. And it the book is about affecting organizational change. And that's really what we're doing. We are We are helping to shift and change culture within churches and organizations, but it, um, systematically with, with clarity, with, with strategy, 
Um, and so it's a brilliant book and I yeah. reference it often with leaders. Yeah. Now, and you have, I think a couple pages of, uh, everyone can do something with one of the examples from the book, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I have the book mm-hmm. right here on my bookshelf and I've read it. And the, the other thing that the Heaths do better than anyone I'm convinced is their book covers are just brilliant. <laughs> so they had made to stick and had duct tape on the cover and they have switch, which has a light switch. I mean, it's just little simple things, but I guess if you made a book called made to stick, you got to have sticky book covers, but well, um, you know, that's a great point is, 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 um, for all of us is it's, they, they, they make the complex simple. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're talking about here is yeah. the complex, nuanced arena of orphan and vulnerable children. And how do we do this? Well, it is, it is so nuanced and so multi-layered. And what we want to do is just help provide some clarity on how, how do we engage this well and, and do the best things that we can and the best next steps for us. And so that's a great point is, just trying to create some simplicity in the mid, in the midst of so much complexity. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Which which I think is a good segue to the the last part of your book focuses on the five elements of a sustainable movement, mm-hmm. and this is something that those five elements are. And you'll you know again we're not going to have time to go through all of them today. But first is use the existing. The second is set micro goals. The third is conduct small experiments. The fourth is ex- inspect what you expect. And the fifth is celebrate successes. And again, we're not going to have time to be able to get into all those. And, and you do lay, do a very good job going through those in the book. Um, but uh, the first one, I think, is something we talk a lot about on the show. It's something I know you talk about, you focus on. We're actually in the process of putting a book together um, to, to cover the interconnectedness of all the different issues, all the different ministries that churches are doing and how we need to work together. And that's really what you're talking about in the first one, use the existing. And can you, can you kind of flesh out a little bit for our audience what, what you're talking about with use the existing and how they can actually, uh, start with that really in their churches when they're, when they're talking with their pastors as well. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, the premise of UZ existing is is this. The, the false idea is that your church will need to add many new programs to do this ministry well. And that's some of the over, overwhelmed feelings that I find a lot of church leaders have is this is a this is a very big problem that probably requires a very big response. Um, and again, that goes back to some of our advocacy. Um, is we we tend to overwhelm with the the hugeness, and what that produces is this sense of um, it's going to require a very big response. And then often from church leaders, their answer is, you know, we just don't have the margin right now. We're already spread so thin. I don't know if we can really start a new ministry, and we walk away frustrated. So, what we want to do is encourage church leaders to move away from the false paradigm of we need to add a lot of new programs to do this ministry well and move them into a place where they understand that your church already has many of the components it needs to do this ministry well. You already have so many things that exist, discipleship structures, mechanism, communication pipelines, leadership development programs, on-ramping for new volunteers, all kinds of things that, that you already have to do this ministry well. And there's two spaces of that. One of them is internally, um, breaking down silos inside of your church. Um, the, the natural default of ministry often in churches is that, um, things tend to get siloed. That's our, 
worship ministry over there. That's our missions ministry over there. That's our prayer ministry over there. Um, and what we want to do is break down some of those silos internally and say, you have an existing children's ministry, or maybe you have an existing small groups ministry, you know, or an existing, uh, just an incredibly robust women's ministry or young adults. What is your church already doing and doing well that you can use as a pipeline to to influence the culture of your church for orphan and vulnerable children? So maybe it's it's we're going to use the existing mechanism of small groups. We don't need to start a new ministry. We're just going to leverage the existing ministry of small groups. We're going to connect people into community that are considering this. We're also going to use small groups to wrap around families that are engaged in this as our support structure. Um, maybe we're going to use our children's ministry because one of the best ways to get into the ears of parents in our church is through the children's ministry. So we're going to we're going to use some curriculum in our children's ministry that 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 gives them some things to take home to their parents and maybe um, plan service projects or events that incorporate the whole family working together in terms of meeting some needs in our community, right? So what already exists in our church internally? But then second, <clears throat> what what are we doing externally, outside of our church already? And very quickly, an illustration we use that most people have probably heard in some other context is this illustration of a river. And it's very simplistic, and every illustration breaks down at some point. But we found this to be incredibly helpful for church leaders as they're thinking through their external engagements, ministries of mission and justice and outreach. And the illustration is three guys walk up to a river and they see kids flowing down the river, people flowing down the river. Uh, and the first guy jumps in and immediately starts to grab as many kids out as he can. The second guy runs downstream to try to catch as many kids as he can before they fall off the cliff because at the end of this river is a cliff, a waterfall. The third guy thinks, well, these guys are jumping in and, 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 and at, at these critical points. My question is, how are these kids getting in the water in the first place? And is there anything I can do to stop it? And so he runs upstream to try to prevent more kids and more families from finding themselves in this stream. So now we have three guys um, all addressing the same problem. There are, there are, there's kids in the stream and we need to get them out. But they're addressing that problem at three different critical points of the stream. Uh, and one of them is, we could say, is intervention. I, I see these kids right in front of me and we, gotta, we just got to get them out. Another we could call restoration downstream. These, these kids have made it so far downstream. And so as you, as you said, the, the interconnectedness between things like um, homelessness or uh, sex trafficking or incarceration, uh, aged out youth um, and all the statistics that, that they become burdened by um, in terms of education and poverty, all these things that are so directly tied back to the stream, um, you know, down upstream uh, of, of child welfare and not having families and living in crisis. Um, and then going upstream on prevention and saying, what, what can we as a church do? What are we as a church doing that would fall into a prevention bucket? Um, and we just kind of lay the, the stream out and we help churches see what are the, what are some things you're already doing that already exist in your ministry structure 
that that could fall into some of these categories. And it's very encouraging for churches to see, oh, gosh, we came into this thinking we were going to have to start a lot of new ministries. But now we see we're already doing several things that are that fall right along this continuum of care from right. prevention to intervention to restoration. Um, and it's encouraging for them. Wow, there already does seem to be a culture of this in our church. We just need to learn how to leverage it a little bit more and communicate it a little bit more. It also helps them to identify some gaps. You know, they might say, we seem to be really, really strong on the restoration side. And that's a good, good thing. But it's shown us that we are a little bit weak, maybe on in some other areas. And so now we can just say, you know, strategically, it helps us see for the next 12 months, we're really going to focus on these areas where we're lacking, whilst at the same time, continuing to uh, leverage these other areas where we're, where we're strong. Um, and, and so that's what we encourage church leaders to do is look at the things that your church is already doing and the gifts, the resources that God has already given you. And you'll likely find you have many of the components you already need to, to do this ministry in an effective way. Yeah, that's so good. That is so good. And that goes back to the, the clarity that you were talking about earlier too, right? The, so much of it is there's just the feeling of overwhelm that I think we can all relate to. Um, that's not just us feeling that on this side. That's the pastors feeling it on the other side. That's the men of their ministry leaders feeling it on their side. That's Absolutely. the mom and the dad at home who are working two jobs just to get by. Um, them feeling, I can't do anything else. There's no way. Um, but to, to really open it up and give them ideas and you have different ideas for the little things we've talked about on this show as well, little things people can do to get involved. And as I talk to people, if you get people involved just a little bit, as you talk about the set micro goals, simple, slow, small, just with the little things, if you get people in, then they can start doing little things and then you can start celebrating those little things. And then that creates a flywheel effect that all of a sudden is going stronger and stronger, but it starts with understanding. It starts with that clarity. And, uh, yeah. So I would love to talk for hours and hours with you on this. Unfortunately, we do have a limited time and, and I know that, uh, but, uh, but we have a couple questions, um, as we finish up. Um, and again, folks, you can get, get that book. Uh, we're going to have it on the, on the show notes. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it, get Christian Lance Forfman's website. Um, but uh, and I, I do strongly recommend that as well as the other books that Jason has written, which we'll have on the on the show notes as well. Um, and we'll also have some links to some other uh, podcasts that Jason's been on that talk about more of the foster care side and uh, some of the other things that we've talked about today. But as we finish up today, um, the first question, you already talked about a book that you love. Um, but what what, have, what else have you read, uh, watched or listened to uh, recently that has impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Hmm. Yeah. Um, so of course, switch, which is not a book about orphan and vulnerable children, but it is. <laughs> but it is uh, exactly. You know, and and just a little side note to that. Uh, I actually know uh, she lives in our town. Uh, we we meet regularly. Chip and Dan Heath's sister, mm-hmm. and uh, she is involved in TBRI, and she works for an agency. And they grew up in a home that fostered. So um, as you read Chip and Dan Heath. You can read them understanding that they understand this world. Right. Uh, so um, I would I would say that um, for sure. Um, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to kind of 
answer both questions. The next one that's coming, uh, maybe a little preemptively here, but um, I work for Christian Lives for Orphans, and our president is a guy named Jed. And uh, Jed, uh, recently, um, just being able to listen to Jed, who do, does a fantastic job of, of taking seemingly apparent tensions in this space, um, competing tensions of, of emotions and, and just different experiences that we walk through, kind of the beauty and the brokenness that exists. And he has this incredible ability to grab both firmly and strongly, affirm both um, strongly. Both of these are true. Uh, and then here's how they come together in the middle to, to create some really beautiful things, hard but beautiful things. Um, and so anyone that I can listen to, like Jed, uh, that helps me reconcile all of these competing emotions and sometimes frustrations and experiences that we walk through um, in this and come to a place of resolution and clarity, um, the, those are the voices that I really appreciate um, and, am, and am impacted by the most. Yeah. So as you said, you did answer the two, you, you're kind of taking over here. So I'm, sorry, I'm, sorry. that's, that's quite all right. That's quite all right. I kind of <laughs> like it sometimes, you know, it gives me a little break, but, um, and I, and I do have to say that, and I meant to say this earlier, but you know, uh, I, I, I can say that my brother called me and he doesn't do this very often, but he goes, do you know this guy? He just spoke at, at, uh, Emily, his daughter's church. He's like, my Emily just loves this guy. So you're, you're a bit of a rock star in my, in my uh, family right now. So <laughs> okay. I think they're going to be a little impressed with, uh, with me being here. Now, that being said, you're a catalyst. So you're a guy that is like iron and ammonia that you don't mm. even, you're not even seen there, um, which is really mm. cool. And that's, what I, that's one of the things I really love about you is you really know it's not about you. And mm. you're the real deal. And so thank you for all that you're doing. Um, with Christian Alliance for Orphans, with churches all around the country, all around the world, with people. Um, your your humility is encouraging. Your wisdom is encouraging. And I just want to hopefully um, encourage folks out there to know that when you're reading the stuff that Jason writes, it's, it's not for any other purpose except to grow the kingdom and help orphan and vulnerable children be loved better and better. So thanks, Jason. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for the time. Well, thanks again, Jason, for uh, sharing uh, just with us your wisdom, sharing just, you know, Karen, Karen and I were just talking about this, that Jason, I know I've said this about a lot of guests, but man, you are the real deal. So if you're listening to this, you know that. And folks out there, I, I hope that you gathered that from his, from his interview, just that the humility, the, the guy is just seeking uh, wisdom from God on how he can share wisdom with others. It's something that I, I've been very fortunate and, and consider it a, a, you know, just a complete honor and blessing to my life that I've be, been able to call him friend. And so, Karen, you know, I just want to know what you thought about the interview. I very much enjoyed the interview. First of all, I want to say um, shout out to Houston. That's where I'm from. And so Jason is also from Houston. If you guys have been listening this season, I've been definitely repping the cities that have an impact in my life. So Houston, shout out. Um, to the content of um, his interview, there's so, so much to talk about. I think that we cannot talk about this podcast without talking about his sweet, sweet river example. Um, I just really loved the way that he highlighted that and the way that he talked about, um, you know, 
how different people approach a problem. Mm -hmm. And Phil, you talk about that so often on here, just related to collaboration and being willing to think about other people's perspectives. But, um, his example, which I know you guys that are listening heard it, but of, um, that represented intervention, restoration and prevention. I think that's so important and it's so relevant, especially when we're talking about orphaned and vulnerable children. Yeah, definitely. That, that example, that river analogy is one that I've used many times talking to people and, and, uh, you know, he always says it better. So I just, I just can't, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's most things with Jason. He just has that air of authority about him. That that's so yeah. cool. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think it's, it's deserved and it's earned. And I, I keep talking to him about the fact that I think all he does is write books because he seems to have a new book coming out every three weeks or something. I know it's not quite mm-hmm. like that, but you know, it seems like it to me. So, and the, the thing is they're all really good, which is why I'm stoked that he's, He's on the uh, the project that we're putting together on uh, the the spectrum of orphan care. All those things he talked about in the river. He's writing. He's writing the intro. That act, that part may actually make it into the book. I know it's in the draft. So you know, I think it, I should. Think it should too. So the folks out there, you know, let us know what you think. If you thought, if you agree with us, let us know that. If you don't, let us know that. That's what we're here for. We're here to engage these conversations. We'll think you're wrong if you say that, but you know, that's okay. <laughs> we we can disagree, but you know that you know, and, and unless you have a really compelling argument. And then we're always listening for those. So, okay, what, what else? You know, one of the things I know for me, I want to, I want to ask you a question, actually. So he talks about to increase clarity, decrease, or to increase clarity decreases anxiety. You know, I know this is something that's super important for me in my ministry, in the ministry that I'm working with all around the world. Two questions I'm continually asking myself, which goes to this, are what am I uniquely positioned to do? And am I the right steward for this kingdom asset, yeah. right? Those two questions, you know, are clarifying questions, right? Yeah. Um, I just want to hear from you, from a clinical perspective. Like, is this <laughs> actually true? To increase clarity decreases anxiety. Yes, I absolutely think so, especially when we're talking about organizational health. And what I think is unique, especially when we're talking about, I don't know if, the majority or most is the proper word to use, but a lot of ministries, especially international ministries, they start off small. They start with someone who has an idea or a vision. And then a lot of times that person ends up doing many things. They end up wearing many hats related to that organization or ministry. And in that it becomes very difficult to kind of pass along some of those hats or, or take those hats off and, and hand them to someone who is either, um, more equipped or more gifted in those areas or has more education and training and experience. And so I think it's incredibly relevant when we're talking about organizational health, which I know is a huge part of, um, the think orphan vision and, and how can we in general have healthy organizations and healthy ministries that are working together to help orphaned and vulnerable children. And so, yes, when we are in kind of whatever analogy we want to use, when we are in the right seat on the plane, when we are doing what we've been called and gifted to do, most often that helps us to feel more secure in our identity related to our role in the organization. How about on a personal level? 
How's that? How's that impact as far as the anxiety? I know that there's obviously different levels of anxiety that people have, but do you think that that's something that translates over to the personal side when you talk about anxiety? Yeah, I think so. I think there's plenty of, um, you know, clinical implications related to identity. I think that clarity is synonymous for identity when we're talking about individuals. When when we know who we are, when we know who we are, grounded in the. I, the identity and the foundation of Jesus Christ, then oftentimes that does help us to understand truth statements. Um, a lot of times when individuals are suffering from nervousness and worry and anxiety, it is a deficit within their brain. Anxiety is real. It's not just that they're bad people or they're sinners or they don't pray enough. Brain deficits are real. Anxiety is real. Um, different neurotransmitters running through brains is real. Um, but when we understand who we are as um, a daughter or son in Christ, then that helps us to have more clarity and understanding related to truth statements. It helps us to catch those unhelpful and mixed up thoughts that cause our brains to become worried and nervous. And so I do think it's relevant on an individual level when we understand and have clarity based on our identity and what God has called us to, what God has called us to within his family, but also within the giftedness that he's given each of us um, to work and do good things, whether that's in ministry or in the world. I think that does reduce um, our nervousness and worry. Mm. Yeah. The other thing, you know, that really stuck out to me and I we never do this a little backwards, but you know, I think that I'm, I'm hoping it all stuck out to you because then we'll come back to you. I want to hear one more thing, but there was the, one of the coolest examples when talking about the curse yes, of knowledge. Come on, I know what you're talking about. So when he's talking about the tapping, is that what you think? Yes. yes. Okay. So look at that. We're on the same page. We're, we're totally yeah. tracking, but how he said, you know, you need to teach word by word, note by note. We can't skip the tap steps and just no. tell them what to do. Right. I mean, Oh, that right. was so powerful. So what would you think? I mean, you just said it, but like, we, I love no, it. keep going. Yep. I love that study anyway. It just really helps people to understand that if someone's not on the same page, I use this often when I do get to do family work with families and, and marriages. Oftentimes it's not, are we on the same page? Like some people aren't even in the same chapter mm-hmm. or the same book. And so, um, we can't assume that someone's coming from the same perspective that we're coming from. Um, even though we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, um, what he referenced that study, it's so relevant of just helping, um, helping leaders to understand, helping people that are teaching and um, promoting and and doing advocacy to understand that unless people really understand where we're coming from, they're not going to know what song we're tapping out. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. That was, you know, just try that folks. Try it. Just go home tonight, dinner table, start tapping a song and see if anyone there, I, I, if they do, you know, more power to you. You're a phenomenal tapper. But there's I'm, actually a board game. There's a board game, Phil, and I don't know the name of it. I wish I did off the top of my head. It's a little bit different, but a lot similar. It's where someone has to wear headphones and then the other person is supposed to like read lips. And so it's different, but it's also similar. Huh. But the person who is saying that the phrase or saying whatever that person is supposed to hear, they're like screaming and they're saying it. And they think that the person with headphones should be able to a hear it, but then also read their lips. But unless you have a lot of practice with lip reading, oftentimes you're not able to understand what that person is saying. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways we can do this. But I think at the end of the day, it's really, you know, how can you learn? How can you teach? How can you connect? And, you know, again, I loved how he said word by word, note by note. We can't shortcut Mm -hmm. this stuff. 
right? We can't yeah. shortcut health. Um, and, you know, and when you analogize it to your personal health too, you know, you talk about it, you know, if you, if you have the flu, you don't go out and you just start playing a soccer game, you know, you, you stay in bed right. and you get healthy. And if you try, yeah. you're not going to be effective and you'll probably get the rest of your team sick. And then everyone's not going to be working well. And yeah. so if we're not doing this the right way, if we're not doing this in the way that we need to and taking the right steps at the right time, it's just not, it's just not going to work out. So, um, I got one more thing from it cause I, I could go on and on. I talked about it in the, in the interview as well, but what, what, what's your kind of last thing on this, on this interview or a couple things. I don't want to limit you, yeah. but, um, I would say, you know, in my office, I have the privilege of working with a lot of families who are just starting to grow through foster care and adoption. And oftentimes there is an energy that is just palpable in the room and there is hype and there is like, why doesn't everyone know this? And I've got to talk to my pastor and I've got to talk to my community group and there's an energy, right? And it's, and so I think one of the things that is so helpful and I love the way that he phrased this, I'm pretty sure he phrased this, or maybe this is just what I said in my head when I was listening. <laughs> um, but you know, when he was talking about the fact that advocacy doesn't work, first of all, like that statement usually, or I'm guessing is probably going to cause like a, huh, right. <laughs> when people are listening, because so um, many of us involved in OVC education and advocacy is a huge component of our ministry. But, um, ultimately what he's saying is that oftentimes when we just give facts, it just tends to overwhelm. And so the, the takeaway from that, that I think is so relevant, especially, um, and I would say, yeah, I'd say, especially for people who are just kind of joining the fight related to, um, providing better best care and best practices for OVC is that, um, when you're sharing your passion and when you're sharing your heart, that apathy is often just a lack of clarity, Mm. a lack of understanding. It's not, it's not a lack of interest. It's not, um, a dead end. It's just a lack of clarity or a lack of understanding. How does this impact me? How does this impact our church or how could we incorporate this? Yeah, that, that was something, and, and that reminds me, I, I cannot recommend his book enough to people who are involved in any way in ministry, period. If you're, like, if you're a Christian, read this thing, if you're doing anything in relation to ministry, because it talks about, and I talked about the tips that we didn't get into in there purposefully. I purposefully did not go to that, because that's all that people remember, the little tips. And... Right as opposed to the principles that really go into this, but the tips he has to, to chink away at that is chink away. Right. I don't know. I think it's right. Chink away at the armor, right? Like at the armor of apathy. Right. So I think it's just, people have these walls up now because we're so busy. It's like, I can't possibly do another thing. And by the way, that's not my passion, but you, you know, you have that little chink that you say, Hey, you know what? Here's a, here's a little way that you can get involved just a little bit. It's, he's called like a lot of me calls like bridge events or different things like that, where you just saying, Hey, we're just building a bridge here and you come across a little bit and just other ways to get people to understand these issues just a little bit at a time. And then that will start building towards, you know, you take the baby steps, you know, do you, what do you, what movie do you think of when I say baby steps? Have you seen it? What about Bob? Oh, you ever seen what about Bob? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. All right. So. You have to see it. If you hadn't, I was going to say you have to rent that like tonight. Yes. Yeah, okay. Movie. Yeah. So, um, a very clinically accurate movie, I'm sure. So, um, 
But uh, if you haven't seen that, folks, that's, you know, another recommendation. That's free. That That's not even part of the recommendation segment. So anyway, you got to take those baby steps. And I think, like you said, the, the idea um, that people don't care. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes people learn to just say, you know what? I don't care. Most of the time, it's they don't, like you said, they don't understand it. They just don't understand what it is. And I've talked to a lot of people about that, that I guarantee that what you're passionate about has something to do with orphan and vulnerable children. Because it literally is everything in the world, like affects or is affected by orphan and vulnerable yeah. children. So that's something that we need to, we need to be better at. We need to take more responsibility for that. Right. And that leads me to the last thing about it is, look, folks, it's okay to be iron in the relationship out there. Right. Not only okay, it's something that when you, you know, and if you listen to the interview, you know what I'm talking about there. It's not only okay, I think sometimes it is so much more joy to be the catalyst for something, to be the iron in ammonia, and just step back and watch what God's doing. Because then you can see it all in a way that if you're in the midst of it, if you're still in the, if you're still the nitrogen and hydrogen in that ammonia, you're not seeing it in the same way. So folks, I want to encourage you out there to not seek that platform, not seek that glory sometimes. If that's not your role, to, to be the iron, to be the catalyst, and to sit back and watch. And I've had that the pleasure of being in that role so many times, and I absolutely love being the iron. And that's something that I can't say for my entire life. I, you know, I wanted to be on the stage. I wanted to be in the spotlight. And then when I started realizing that, man, God can do so much through people as and when they're willing to, not only willing to, but get excited about being the iron when nobody's ever going to see you, and that's okay. So with that, I'm going to share a little bit, as I promised before the interview, unless you have something else, Karen, I'm going to go to talk about it. No, I was just going to say, man, that was really poetic, Phil. Well, you know, every so often, you know, I I do stuff like that. It's it's a softer side of Phil. We don't see it very often, but thank you. It's nice. Okay. I'll I'll try to do it more often. I don't know if I'll be able to, though, because it it comes in, you know, (laughs) you just have these, you know, moments of, of clarity. See? Look, I brought it back to clarity. There it is. So Ethiopia and Uganda, we're going to be heading over there. I say we, me and Dave Rudko, who's with Providence as well. We're going to be some training on uh, orphan excellence. And I'm super excited in Uganda, folks. If you're able to come to New Hope, Uganda, November 12th through 14th, it's the first time ever that Keith McFarlane and I are going to be training on in pursuit of orphan excellence, which I'm stoked. We're going to do it. I don't, we're, we're still putting it together, but it's going to be the world premiere of that. Um, and so I don't want to hype it too much because then I don't want to set the standard like ridiculously high. And then you get there and go, man, that was not nearly as good as Phil was talking about. But we're also going to do some organizational health training. We're going to be talking to people about how they can implement a lot of stuff that Jason's talking about, but also other materials that we're putting together to be able to help organizations um, really understand uh, you know, how they can be uh, much more effective and efficient in, in what they're doing. And so we're going to put the flyer that we're going to put out there on, on the, on the website and the show notes for this show. So if you have any questions about it, but we at New Hope Uganda, which is about an hour and a half North of Kampala, uh, November 12th through 14. And then in Ethiopia, we're still putting together the details, but we'll, we should have them by the time we, uh, we release this episode. And so we'll, we'll put those on the show notes as well. But it'll be after the Transform World Summit in Addis Ababa on, uh, let's see, that would be April, or April, November 9th and 10th. So 
very excited about that. And uh, it's definitely a time I'd love to get to know you folks out there personally as well, which is something that uh, I I cherish each, each of those friendships that start um, from the podcast, as we learned last week with Brandon Stiver, who is one of those um, who we've become friends through the podcast. So with that, um, you know, there's a lot more details. You can get all that information um, on the show notes. Um, and now we're going to finish up, as we usually do, with Phil and Dr. Karen recommend. And, and there's another one for me today. Um, Karen has, you know, she does so many things and she just has not had the time to get more recommendations right now. So I (laughs) I got another one coming your way. Um, actually a couple of them. One is called Born to Win by Zig Ziglar and Tom Ziglar. And it's very relevant to this topic that we talked about today, the organizational health. It's also a lot of just personal goal setting and, and understanding, you know, just a lot of the stuff that, uh, scripture is telling us about how we can, um, really thrive in, in, in our lives here on earth for the kingdom. And so I, I recommend that book as well as a fun book that, uh, I was able to read as a, a big sport fan, as a lifelong soccer player. Um, and as a father of five to see very different things in my own children with the same gene pool, this one's called the sports gene and the subtitle is inside the science of optimal sports performance by David Epstein. And this book is fascinating to talk about just the different body types, the different genes that go into a, to a body, different places that people are born. And if you're born at elevation versus not and how you're training and what you're doing, all those things go into it. But at the end of the day, it was great. And the, at the end of the book, it said, at the end of the day, it, it really, you know, you can't just look at a body. You can't just, you know, create a human being based on certain genes and, and for sure get a certain, you know, output. Right. And, and I love that because what that does tell us is, you know, God creates us each uniquely, right. And creates us to do different things. And so some people are created to run faster. Some people are created to do different things in a different way. But, uh, how do we use those tools? How do we use those gifts? Because as they're saying, you could be created to do that and you could still just not train, not do the things and you're not going to be the best. And I think that that's something that that my takeaway from that book, there's a lot of them, but the, the one that I kind of, the main takeaway was, look, folks, we're created to do certain awesome things for the kingdom. And we have responsibilities to do our best for that. So I want to encourage you to do that, folks. I want you to encourage you to take all that you learned today, all that you're learning through this podcast, through the reading you're doing, through the movies you're watching, through the pot, you know, through the other things you're listening to. And, uh, you just take all those things and from the conversations you're having with people, hopefully conversations you're having with us on, um, through the, all the different ways you can do that on the podcast. And I take you, I pray that you take all those things and you use them to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. And have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Think Orphan.